Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. It may be insanely early to make this pronouncement, but if you remember before the NFL season started, we did college football and we did NFL fearless predictions. And my fearless prediction about the NFL was undoubtedly, incredibly fearless. It was that the New England Patriots are going to go 8-8 eight and eight and miss the playoffs. And a lot of you thought that was a crazy, fearless prediction. And in fact, based on history, it was a crazy, fearless prediction. But the New England Patriots are awful right now. And I know they have been bad in the past, in September. I went back several years, and somebody in LA can confirm this. I couldn't find the New England Patriots with a 1-2 and start to the season with Tom Brady being healthy and playing in every game in the last six years. They've been 2-2 two and two a few times, but that's after losing game four to drop to 2-2. Two and two. I couldn't find a start this bad in recent history. And when you go look at the stat line in this game, it's alarming. Last night, the Patriots had just 12 first downs, and if I'm not mistaken, two or three of those came 
in the final two minutes of the game when the Patriots handed the ball off and racked up about 40 or 50 yards rushing. They had only 209 total yards. And again, 40 or 50 of those yards came on the final two-minute drive when they were basically beaten 26-10 to 10 already. They had just 120 passing yards, an average of 4.3 yards per pass. Brady got beaten up, lots of sacks. They had a turnover. Brady was throwing the ball deep, and his receivers were blanketed. On several plays, the... Detroit Lions lined up to cover Rob Gronkowski like it was a kickoff. They had two guys directly over him, bracketing at him, and he had absolutely no chance to make any plays at all. The only touchdown the Patriots scored was on an incredible throw for a touchdown to make it, I guess, 13-10 to coming out of a Matthew Stafford turnover to begin the second half. This game just flat out was not very competitive. And if you are a New England Patriot fan, I think you might have to stare into the face of epic collapse. If the Patriots lose to the... I can't believe I'm saying this. If the Patriots lose to the Dolphins this weekend, I got to tell you, I think they may be done. And I know Josh Gordon is out there and he could potentially make a difference on this offense. And I know that Julian Edelman is back after his suspension in week five. But when I watch the Patriots, they look old and they look slow. I thought the Lions exploited their linebacking core and made them look slow. I thought the pass rush for the Patriots was mediocre. I thought the secondary looked slow. This looks like a bad football team. And as I watched this game, we had the news come out that the Patriots had agreed to trade Rob Gronkowski to the Detroit Lions, and Gronkowski said, no, I'll retire instead. And so that trade fell apart. But I'm thinking to myself, my God, who would Tom Brady be throwing the ball to if the Patriots had traded Rob Gronkowski? Have we finally reached the point where Bill Belichick can't game plan and coach his way to success? I think there's a good chance the answer is yes. Now, some of you out there listening to me right now say, stop, Clay. You're thinking to yourself, it's September. There's no way you can ever judge the New England Patriots in September. They're a completely different team by the time we get to December and by the time we get to January. I understand that argument. I'm here to tell you, I think this year is different. And... I'm not willing to buy into the fact that the New England Patriots are going to be able to fix what's going wrong with their team right now. We have got so many storylines to get to here on OutKick, as we always do on a Monday. And so, as a result, I want to hit you with uh, a bunch of different NFL and college football stories. But before we even get into that, how about Tiger Woods? I don't know how many of you we're watching on NBC on Sunday afternoon as he came up the green to the 18, to 18, as he walked up the fairway to 18, it was an incredible scene. 
everyone on that entire Atlanta area golf course swarming Tiger Woods, cheering for him like crazy. Tiger even got emotional for a minute there. I thought he was going to break down in tears. It was an utterly extraordinary moment. Nobody unites sports fans like Tiger Woods. I don't think there's a single athlete out there that brings more excitement and more just sort of embraced joy across the entire sporting landscape than right now Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods got a win for the first time in five years. And we can legitimately say, I've been saying it for a couple of months on this show, but Tiger Woods is officially back. What an incredible win. I asked the question, I thought it was an interesting one, how many of you out there were having to make a decision between watching Tiger Woods and watching the NFL? And I put out this poll question, which I think was a good one. What have you guys been primarily watching since the early NFL games ended? Tiger or the NFL afternoon games? Nearly 26,000 of you voted. And I thought this was wild. 72% of you said you were watching Tiger over the NFL afternoon game. The NFL afternoon game I had was the Cowboys on the road against the Seahawks. I would imagine the majority of the nation had that as their doubleheader game too. But that's pretty wild that Tiger got 72% of the overall vote in our poll. I don't know what the final uh, results will look like, but I can't wait to actually see them. And it speaks to how much interest there is on in Tiger Woods that on a Monday after the NFL and college football games took place, that in our first opening 15 minutes, we're talking quite a bit about Tiger Woods. But when I saw those poll results, my, my eyebrows really went up. I know a lot of you were watching both. I was doing both. But I flipped it over to make sure that I was watching Tiger on 18 so that I could see the reaction. And it was uh, it was an unbelievable scene across the board. Just phenomenal in all respects. Uh, so that is much to be discussed. Again, Tiger Woods officially back. All right, before I, what we're going to do here is we'll go to break and then we will come back and I will break down all the NFL and college football, I think. But I want to start with this news, which is pretty devastating to the San Francisco 49ers. And it is that Jimmy Garoppolo is, they are afraid, out for the year with the 49ers. And I think that's the most lasting storyline from NFL Week 3, the San Francisco 49ers who came in filled with such optimism and gave Jimmy Garoppolo so much money based on the way he finished last season, the five games that he played that they went 5-0 and in. They gave Jimmy Garoppolo superstar money and now he is injured in his third game with the San Francisco 49ers. An official word has not come down, but... Kyle Shanahan in his post game, they basically believe that Jimmy G has torn his ACL, and I would expect that we will get official news on that injury at some point today after they're able to do the MRI. But you want to talk about abject uh, misery for the San Francisco 49ers. They're one and two now. Their only win was, I believe, by three points over the Lions. 
and everything has fallen apart there for Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. They had such unbelievable high expectations. And now I think you have to ask the question, man, this is tough for Jimmy G, right? The guy has started in his career, if I'm doing my math correct, 10 games. And he has had two of those 10 games end in season-ending injury. He had the, I think, the broken collarbone, right, against the, uh, I don't remember who got injured against, but when he came in for Brady, I believe it was in his second game. He looked great in those games for the Patriots, too. But in his second game, he breaks his collarbone and is basically out for the season with the uh, New England Patriots. And then he comes back in in his first uh, third game as a full-time starter now for the 49ers. He has another season-ending injury. I know injuries oftentimes can be freakish and you don't know exactly when they're going to happen, but he's only started 10 games in his career now, Jimmy Garoppolo, and he has had two season-ending injuries. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's ever fair to call a guy like uh, injury prone, but that is a uh, that's a wild uh, opportunity there to have happen, and it reconfirms this wasn't second guessing. I was first guessing. Can you pay Jimmy Garoppolo as much money guaranteed as the San Francisco 49ers did based on such a limited sample of results? And my general position is no, you can't. That makes you very nervous, makes me very nervous when you pay a guy a ton of money and he hasn't been out there on the field that much. If you think about it, the expectation coming into this season, I'm going to get in more to the Houston Texans here in a minute, but the expectation for both the Houston Texans and the San Francisco 49ers was inordinately high based on a very small sample size of good quarterback play. People said, oh my God, Jimmy G, he's unstoppable. San Francisco 49er fans are saying, hey, we're going to win the Super Bowl next year. Their Super Bowl odds went so low. I think they got down to like 10 to 1, something like that, with Jimmy G coming back. And the Houston Texans, everybody in Houston was thrilled and excited with what Deshaun Watson was going to bring to bear after the eight games that he played before his injury. And my position on this was really straightforward. I said, tap the brakes. Because once the NFL defensive coordinators get all that tape and they have an entire offseason to sit and watch your guy and figure out what he does poorly and make him do it over and over again, oftentimes that sophomore slump is for real. Look at what happened with Dak. Look at what happened with Vince Young. I remember how excited everybody was. Vince Young, rookie of the year. Oh, he's unstoppable. It's going to be just like college. Never was the same at the quarterback position. And so when you look at these two guys, Jimmy Garoppolo now potentially out for the season, Deshaun Watson 0-3, what do both have in common? You had a very limited sample size of quarterbacking, and everybody said, oh, these guys are going to be great. They're going to be just as good as they were in their first seven or eight games. And I said, no, no, no. First-year quarterback, usually the second year, is when you can tell because that's when the NFL defensive coordinators have all of their time to have set and looked at all the evidence of what they can and can't do, and they make it hard on them in year two, and they fall apart. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. We're joined now by Barrett Salee. Ed Barrett Salee on Twitter. We'll get into college football in a moment, but you are in Atlanta, and I want to get the pulse of the city of Atlanta, Barrett. The Atlanta Braves, uh, out of nowhere, win the NL East. 
the Atlanta Falcons lose in overtime to the New Orleans Saints, which is a bigger story waking up, and also the Georgia Bulldogs dominant, probably the second best team in college football so far. Give me the pulse of Atlanta area sports uh, as people are waking up on this Monday morning. Yeah, I'd say that the Braves is, is far and away the biggest story. Um, because like you mentioned, it came out of nowhere. Um, I think people down here uh, maybe had a little bit different perspective all year, thinking that um, you know they were going to at least be relevant. I don't think anybody anticipated it dominating the NL East like this. So uh, to get the, the clinch on Saturday afternoon in front of the home crowd and then having Sunday basically as a big, big drunk party, which is basically what it was. They put their hangover lineup in and, and we all had a good time. Uh, that's bigger. That's the biggest buzz um, by far. I mean, we're going to have playoffs baseball in the sound for the first time since 2013, and that that's um, that doesn't happen all that much. So, uh, you know, I, I think when it comes to the Falcons, people were disappointed losing to the Saints, especially in the way that they did with the defense. I think there's it's not too much of a, a shock considering all the injuries they have. So, not to say people expect that they hate losing to the Saints. We all hate losing to the Saints. We're Atlanta fans, but. You know, looking at how that team is right now and where they are in terms of injuries, I don't know if anybody really expected anything different at this point. All right, and let's go into college football. Did anything surprise you for the Georgia Bulldogs coming out of that game against Missouri? Yeah, I think the defense struggling with Drew Locke a little bit um, was surprising. You know, I think that defense is still sort of figuring out exactly what it wants to be. DeAndre Baker's a, a monster in the secondary, uh, and Drew Locke's a talented kid, but I was surprised that they had as much success as they did without Emmanuel Hall, Missouri star wide receiver, uh, being really a factor. He was a decoy pretty much the entire game. So, you know, I think that was, that was a little surprising, uh, but I think you saw what, what Georgia is, and I think that's what a lot of people around here are happy to see. Georgia had their D game in that game, maybe their C game. You know, they did not play well, really at all. Jake didn't look good throwing. Uh, They couldn't really get the running game cranked up all that much. And they still won going away, which is is how you describe a lot of Alabama football games, where they don't really play that well. They kind of plod through it for a little while, and then they turn it on, and it turns sideways quickly. So, you know, I think the surprise was that they came out kind of flat because you hadn't really seen that all year. Um, but I think you t- a lot of folks around that program are going to take a ton of positives from that because they know they didn't play well and they still dominated, and that's the sign of a championship caliber team. And like you said, you know, really outside of Alabama, Georgia's the only one doing that right now. Would you take Alabama or the field right now in college football? So usually I always take the field in these bets. Um <laughs> Uh, it, it to me right now, I would I would still take Alabama um, because you know look here's the thing with Bama, they are what they've been able to do, and this is crazy to think about, Clay, and and you've been down here, you are down here. If you're a defensive coordinator, you almost want Alabama to run the football now, yeah, as opposed to passing it. Like think about that for a second. It, they have Damian Harris and Najee Harris. In the past, they've had all these freak show running backs. If you're a defensive coordinator, you want them to run the ball now because two is going to kill you. So uh, it's you combine that with the defense. I just I don't know how you stop this. Even if you're Clemson and have a great defense, even if you're Ohio State and have a great defense, I you can't you can't cover everything. You can't account for everything that they're capable of doing. And 
And unless there's a, an injury or something, something strange happens, I just I don't see how it can be real. This is what I said. I wrote it uh, in my column, uh, my starting 11 column that's up on the front page of OutKick right now. I said, for a long time, the goal against Alabama was to stop the run, right? You did everything you could to try to stop the run and force them to have to pass. What's amazing about that is if you went and looked at the overall lineup here, like in that game against Alabama, that's exactly what they were able to do. Texas a and is a pretty talented team. You go yeah. look at the box score. They held Alabama to, and this is this is wild, Alabama ran the ball 28 times for 109 yards. They held Alabama <laughs> to less than four yards a carry. The problem was Tua is like a cheat code in the passing game, and Alabama passed for 415 yards. So yeah. even when they, like they, they did exactly what they wanted to do in the uh, in in defending the pass, I mean in defending against the run, and then Tua goes out and throws for nearly 400 yards, and they brought in Jalen Hurts later, and he added some more. But that's a ridiculous line. That's a ridiculous stat line, right? Yeah, it is, and it's it's crazy because you're exactly right. Texas A&M played well, like they legitimately played well, and still got blown out. And and that's it's it's almost like the question for Alabama isn't will they win because we all sort of expect that now, but it's will they cover. <laughs> you know, because I don't know if you can build a line big enough to to, uh, to to withstand that kind of pressure and to account for what they bring to the table. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's crazy because watching that game, you know, Texas A&M, even at halftime, when they had a couple garbage touchdowns that they gave up late and, and the game started to get sideways, you still looked at Texas A&M, and I did anyway, and, and said, hey, you know what? They're not playing bad. They're playing pretty solid, and yet they're still getting blown out. So, you know, Alabama versus the field. I, I in college football, especially, I'd always typically take the field, but in this instance, I just I don't see how you can do that based on the way Alabama's played for four games. All right, let's go to one of the biggest upsets we've seen in decades. Old Dominion beats Virginia Tech and doesn't just beat them; puts up over 600 yards of offense. Virginia Tech only turns the ball over one time. It's not like there was some crazy, unbelievable outcome. 49 points against a Bud Foster offense. How stunned are you by this result? Incredibly stunned. I mean, that's not something that's supposed to happen. Uh, you know, ODU not only was a, you know, kind of an unknown team, they were a bad unknown team. They were 0-3. They had gotten blown out by Liberty. So, you know, I think in terms of college football upsets, I would put that possibly top five all time, you know, in modern-day college football. Stanford, USC, you know, 15 years ago, whenever that was, was up there, but you know, ODU had, had no business beating Virginia Tech, and yet, like you said, they went out and dominated. And, you know, I, I think for Virginia Tech, I think it exposes a little problem is. Um, they, Josh Jackson is just an okay quarterback, and then he gets hurt. And then defensively, throughout the entire offseason, you know, we heard about their, their roster being decimated by not only – you know, graduation, but injuries and, and transfers and dismissals and all this stuff. And, and they just didn't have the bodies. And they, they looked like they were ill-prepared. And, you know, that's, that's crazy to think because they, even though it's ODU, I think they know how important that game was because it's in Norfolk. It's in a place they want to recruit heavily. The reason they went to ODU was specifically for a recruiting presence. So you would think they'd come out with a lot – uh, a lot of motivation to to show people in that region that they you know they can play at Virginia Tech and yet um, you know it was a disaster. So I you know I think uh, we had Bobby Wilder on Sirius XM, the ODE coach, uh, on Saturday night, and 
And he flat out said, he's like, this is a program-defining moment because, and not just a program-defining moment, an institutional-defining moment because they were a commuter school. The reason they built they built the football program up was to make it a residential campus. And now, I mean, that whole place is going to explode because now everybody knows about ODU. It's amazing. Barrett Sully uh, joining us now. He's down in Atlanta. Okay, uh, coming into this week, I would have said there are maybe five teams that have been pretty impressive. Uh, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, um, certainly LSU, and maybe Oklahoma, right? The five most mm-hmm. impressive teams so far. What's up with Oklahoma? Is, is this just an aberration? They're playing against Army. They weren't that prepared. They're a young team. They didn't take it very seriously. Or is this now two weeks in a row? They weren't that great against Iowa State. I think they won 37-27, and now they go to overtime against Army. Is Oklahoma actually that good, or do we have to strip them out of the teams that have been that impressive? I think you might have to strip them out of the teams that are, have been that impressive, but you don't need to move them very far. You just sort of have to reduce that number because, you know, Army's one of those tricky teams. They run the triple option. Oklahoma probably didn't want, um, you know, so really didn't get cranking is because the defense kept, you know, kept struggling and allowed Army to get first downs, and thus Kyler Murray couldn't get the ball in his hands. I mean, I think the time of possession was like 18 to, you know, something ridiculous, 42 or something like that. So, you know, I think you have to remove Oklahoma from that top-tier group because, that, like you said, that is two weeks. It's two weeks where the defense didn't necessarily look strong. Uh, Iowa State's a good program two weeks ago, but, um, you know, Zeb Nolan was a first-time starter, second-time starter, and, and they still got lit up a bit. So I think there's concern about the defense. Uh, I wouldn't be concerned about the offense. They just need a ball more. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to, to what Oklahoma needs, that they have to find a way to find just enough defense. And they don't have that right now uh, because, you know, the defense has really been the reason the last two games have been more tight than they'd like. So, yeah, I mean, I'd remove Oklahoma. I mean, I think they can get it back because they are, I think, more talented defensively than than a lot of people realize just because they get branded as a Big 12 program. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I they've got some work to do. But a lot of teams have work to do. I mean, you know, LSU, I'd say, might not deserve to be in that group either yet because we don't know if they have a, a downfield passer. So, you know, end of the season, you have to sort of evaluate where teams are and what that means in terms of who they've played and who they've beat. Um, so right now, I'd say the only three that are in that group are, or four that are in the group are Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State. All right. If you were a Oregon Duck fan, how sick would you still be going into work on Monday morning? Oh, brutal. Like, so sick. I mean, Justin Herbert threw two incompletions in regulation. Two. Like, that's insane. They threw that game away. Um, all they had to have was a running back who didn't try to get an extra yard and have the ball stripped. Uh, a 17-point collapse in a game that I think in terms of, you know, in Pac-12 North was probably the second most important game of the season and really could have a big impact on the college football playoff race. So, yeah, I mean, if, if I'm an Oregon fan with the pylon thing and with the fumble and with your quarterback having the best game of his life and then throwing it away because you can't uh, hold on to the ball late, I mean, it was it was a disaster. Um, it was an absolute disaster. And and here's the thing with that, you know, sort of like the Texas A&M-Alabama thing, Oregon's defense held Bryce Love in check. Like, Bryce Love was, you know, had just an okay day by Bryce Love standards. And K.J. Costello and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and the rest of those receivers just went nuts. So 
you know, it's yeah, if you're Oregon, you have to look around and say, you did everything right. Everything that you wanted to do, you did, and yet you still got the L. So I'd be, I'd be very sick because right now at 12 North, it, it just um, it looks like it's Stanford and Washington, and Oregon's going to have to get a lot of luck to uh, to get back in that mix. All right, back to the SEC. Speaking of being sick, how bad was Tennessee? What did it tell us about Florida? What did you learn from that game? Tennessee six turnovers gets whipped at home. Um, you know the overall stat lines aren't that much different, but Tennessee with one of the worst performances you could possibly have. Awful in the first half. I think turns it over four times, down twenty three or twenty six to three or whatever the heck it was, and then you fumble the opening kickoff, getting the ball to start the second half, and Florida immediately scores, and it's thirty three to three, and that game was never close. Yeah, I mean, it, it reminded a lot of, of, of the Butch Jones era. You know, if you're a Tennessee fan, you had to be at that stadium thinking, well, what's the difference, right? Like, it's not much different. And, you know, so I think it, it showed, to me anyway, that Tennessee, um, the rebuilding job is going to take a while. I like the way Jeremy Pruitt handled some things. Quadre uh, Sapp, who you know had a little attempt, if you will, at the uh, on the sideline. And, look, I mean, I think the culture is the problem, right? I mean, I think at Tennessee – and you know this too, uh, Butch Jones, for all that he did poorly as a head coach, did a lot worse in terms of managing a locker room, managing personalities, managing egos. And that's, that's really hard to fix in, in one offseason, especially when you're not playing actual games and you're not facing actual adversity. So, you know, I think that's the problem with Tennessee. It's going to take a little while you kind of write off some turn up bad turnovers because you know you some of those things are just bad luck but i think when when things start going south you have to look at the character of your team and right now they don't really have that right now they they don't really have that kind of mental toughness to 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 fight through that stuff and and that said you know florida even though they won big you got a decent game out of felipe franks at quarterback that's about all you can say i mean the defense was solid but you know, if, if you're a Florida fan, you have to look around and say, yeah, it's great that you beat a rival. That's wonderful. But Dan Mullen's an offensive genius, and yet you haven't seen that yet. So um, I, I think a, a pretty solid day for Tennessee, but if, or for Florida. But if you're a Tennessee fan, man, you've got to come out of that game feeling just absolutely sick, absolutely sick because, again, six turnovers, if, if you only make two or three of those turnovers, you probably are in the game a little bit because Florida wouldn't be doing anything. No, I, I don't think there's any doubt at all. All right, last question for you. Kentucky gets a win 28-7 over, uh, over Mississippi State, an incredibly impressive win. How good are the Wildcats? They're pretty solid. You know, I think now you have to look at them and say, okay, they can win the battle in the trenches more than maybe we expected. They did it against Florida two weeks ago, and then doing it against Mississippi State is a, is a whole different thing, too, because Mississippi State's really loaded up front. Uh, so... Yeah, I think you have to look at Georgia or Florida, Kentucky as Georgia's primary threat in the SEC East at this point, and and a team that, at the very worst, is going to be a tough out. At the very worst, is going to beat you up, and and at the very worst, make you work. You know, I don't know what their top end is because, you know, I don't necessarily think that they've got you know the ability to go you know into a shootout and win when they have to, just because I don't think Terry Wilson is that great of a downfield passer, although he hasn't really had to show it yet. Um, so there is a little bit of a concern there. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, um, if they, you know, were in contention for the SEC East come November, even if it's a long shot, it probably wouldn't be a no shot. And, I mean, look, Benny Snell has been one of the best running backs in the SEC for a very long time. 
And for him to have this kind of impact four games into his senior season when he comes on pro, uh, I think now people realize how good he actually is. And to combine him with another dual threat quarterback like Terry Wilson, you know, really, um, really key, keeps the continuity from last year and allows him to keep rolling. So, you know, yeah, Kentucky's relevant. I think they're the primary contender in the East to Georgia at this point. Man, if you watch that Mississippi State game, uh, Josh Allen, their, their linebacker for Kentucky, is by far the best Josh Allen football player we've seen in a long time. Uh, outstanding stuff, as always, Barrett Salee. Appreciate you joining us down in Atlanta. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. I've got a poll question up right now. A couple different poll questions that have been up in the last 24 hours. Which 0-3 NFL team's fan base should be the most panicked? Historically, 0-3 teams have a 2% chance of making the playoffs. There are only three 0-3 teams right now. The Texans, the Raiders, and the Cardinals. And we have got a tight vote. 6,000 of you have voted in the first 30 minutes here of the show. Which 0-3 NFL team should be the most panicked? The Texans getting 41% of the vote. The Raiders getting 41% of the vote. The Cardinals getting 18%. I would expect that the Cardinals will announce Josh Rosen as the new starter for their team, which would mean all four of the first-round quarterbacks we expected to play will be playing. Lamar Jackson still backing up uh, Joe Flacco. Wasn't really much of an expectation that he would be a starting quarterback. Sam Darnold with the Jets off and running. Baker Mayfield with the Browns. Uh, it appears that uh, that Josh Allen, big-time win on the road, uh, performance by Josh Allen on the road against the Vikings. And then it appears now that Josh Rosen will be starting as well. So the Cardinals at least are in a rebuild mode. I think the Texans and the Raiders at 41% each would have been a pretty big surprise. Who do you think should be more panic, Danny G? You are a huge Raider fan. Texans fans or Raider fans? Boy, can you comfort us Raider fans in any way, shape, or form? I mean, you've always said that it's about Derek Carr and John Gruden as far as why yeah. Gruden was brought in there. There were two players that he pinpointed right off the bat, Mac and Carr as the reasons why he wanted to come back to the NFL. And obviously the thing with Carr is not working out right now. Either he had two more horrible interceptions yesterday. It seems like he forces the ball into really tight spaces and makes really bad decisions in the fourth quarter. Do you have any explanation why? No. I mean, really, it's not just this season. It's ever since he broke his leg. I mean, this was a guy who looked like he was going to be the MVP, and then the wheels have just come off Derek Carr. And I, and I don't pretend to understand why exactly that is. I was optimistic that John Gruden would be able to show up and make a difference with him. Now, week two against the Broncos, he was almost flawless. Uh, week three against uh, the Dolphins, obviously, the wheels have uh, have started to come off. Now, if, if I'm a Raiders fan at least I can think, okay, we've played against really good competition. The Texans, I think, should probably be the most panicked because I think they came into the season with the most expectations. Deshaun Watson has just been okay, uh, but to get dominated by the Giants in a must-win home game, to lose week one like they did to the Patriots, who frankly haven't looked very good in September so far, and to lose to the Titans when the Titans don't have their top three tackles and the Titans are playing Blaine Gabbard at quarterback, I think Bill O'Brien might be the first head coach to get fired. I really do. Uh, do we have the audio on Tiger Woods? I want to yeah. play that for the start of Hour 3. I think it's a little bit too long. How long is that clip? 
55 seconds. Okay, we can play it here. Tiger Woods, the other question that I asked you guys was, how many of you were watching the NFL versus Tiger Woods? 26,000 of you voted, and 72% of you said you were watching Tiger Woods instead of the NFL afternoon game. Here's Tiger Woods reacting. He's holding this clip, reacting to everybody ripping him. Watch this. Listen to this. And Tiger Woods compete with the Justin Thomases, Jordan Spieths, Dustin Johnsons? No, is the short answer. I mean, sure you get hit this question a lot. Do you think he'll return his previous form? No. Do you think he stands a chance of being the Tiger Woods we once knew? No. No, no, no. Here's what's going to happen. He is not ever going to win another tournament. I don't think we'll ever see Tiger Woods win a golf tournament again. He's showing up at these tournaments and pretty much knowing that he's, he's not going to be there. The short game is gone. His health is gone. The next press release Tiger Woods should release should be I'm retiring. I have considered him now for the last five, six years a former golfer. You're washed. Just give up while you're ahead. Retire with some dignity. Tiger Woods that we all knew. He will never, ever be that guy again. Tiger Woods is back, y'all. Big win, five years in the making. And I think Tiger Woods might win a major, even potentially a couple of more majors. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Alex Marvez lined up now. And uh, Alex, I'm going to be honest with you. That ass kicking from the Gators was brutal to watch, uh, particularly because Tennessee turned it over six times, the Volunteers. But I got to say, I'm so in love with Mike Vrabel and what he's done the past two weeks that I'm glad one team showed up while playing a Florida-area team. The Titans took it to the Jags and won 9-6. Which was more surprising to you, the Florida Gators beating uh, the uh, Tennessee Volunteers as uh, three-and-a-half-point favorites or whatever it was, or the Titans going on the road and winning as 10-and-a-half or 11-point underdogs? I'm going to say yes. No, Clay, honestly, <laughs> the Mike Vrabel victory was the one. And listen, by the way, the jorts are fitting a little bit even better today yeah, down, in, yeah. down in north-central Florida. I just want to let you know that. The sun, a little bit more orange. The sky, a little bit more blue after that dominating victory over your Tennessee Volunteers. But I digress here. The thing about Mike Vrabel is that he's built a mentally tough team. First, I think the Jaguars completely overlooked this team. And even though it's Tennessee and they beat them twice last year, I just think that, you know, I got a bad vibe throughout the week, you know, feeling pretty, pretty fat and happy about beating the New England Patriots, right? And then the Vols come in. And you know what you're thinking all week if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, and this was part of the poison of it? Blaine Gabbert. That's all you kept thinking was Blaine Gabbert. We're going to be playing against Blaine Gabbert, so we're going to win automatically. And then Mariota comes in, even though he can't throw the football more than five yards, it didn't matter, right? I mean, you know, and, and their defense, look, this is a really good group. And Dean Pease, I think, and, and look, I love me some Dick LeBeau as a person. I love him as a coach. But that zone blitz stuff got old, right? I mean, times change in the NFL. You look at Dick LeBeau, you look at Dom Capers, both guys not in the NFL for the first time in how many years? 50, 60? I'm not, I'm not exaggerating here, but they ran defenses that were, you know, had sort of become out of style because teams had figured out how to defuse them. So now you have Dean Pease putting in his work there. You know, Jarrell Casey's just a game record. They were able to get some good pressure on, on Blake Bortles, but I just like the direction the mental toughness of Mike Vrabel has put in. And you know what he does, too? He's found ways to win. Look, it may be crappy, boring football. I get that, but that's okay. You know, you'll go for style points later in the year when Mariota gets a feeling back in his arm and he's able to throw and, you know, you're able to run a full offense. But for what they're doing right now, great stuff. Jags, by the way, shame on you for getting so arrogant and so cocky that you overlooked this Titans team. 
How impressive is Mariota coming in off the bench after the Blaine Gabbard injury? You just mentioned it. He can't feel multiple of his fingers. <laughs> and to come out, not turn the ball over, uh, make and, – and look, the numbers were not extraordinary, but he had at least three drops by his receivers that would have been first downs when they had to throw it. He ran for 50-some-odd yards. I mean, this is one of the most uh, impressive – non-statistical performances because you're going to look at the stats and you're going to be like oh big deal but if you watch this game and I'm sure a lot of Jacksonville people are nodding too like Marcus Mariota won this game for the Tennessee Titans it is remarkable right I mean for a guy that you know listen wasn't even deemed good enough to start you know because of the health situation and you're, you're so correct about that listen Ryan Suckup stepped up as well but you know, on special teams and, and making his field goals, and that's something to have right there as a weapon. And for the Titans to hold on to the football for almost 33 minutes, I mean, this was a one-dimensional offense, right? I mean, you knew that this guy can't throw the football deep. So, you know, for him to be able to, to make the plays that he did with his legs, I think that the carries were the huge part. You know, seven carries for 51 yards, and they just never, the, the Jags, Never had an answer for it. And, you know, look, Bortles was kept in check. I mean, only 155 yards on his 21 completions. His longest pass of the day for Blake Bortles was 15 yards. That's it. After he was dropping dimes on folks against the New England Patriots, right, that's all he got was a 15-yard completion, the longest pass of the day. And this was a day, too, where Leonard Fournette was sorely missed by this team because T.J. Yeldon, he only had seven carries. Yeah, it was 44 yards, but still, it's not the same type of threat to open things up in the passing game that you have with Leonard Fournette. So huge victory by the Titans. And this is one, listen, they may come back and haunt the Jacks. Quite honestly, because they still got to go to Nashville. They got to play the Titans there, coming in on a losing streak. And maybe, just maybe, Tennessee's going to end up winning this division like I picked in the preseason. All right, let's go to the Patriots. Last night, they looked awful. I mean, there's no way to defend that performance. One of the worst we've ever seen. First time the Patriots have lost back to back games by double digits since 2002. Should the panic button be pushed in New England? Meanwhile, you're down in Florida. The Dolphins are now 3-0, and and we've got a game coming up next weekend and or this weekend in Foxborough where, look, I mean, if the Dolphins were able to go on the road and win this game, this would be officially like a five-alarm fire for the Patriots because they'd be three and a half games back in the division with 12 games to go. I bet that's a, I bet that's an amount that they haven't been behind since Tom Brady started playing with Bill Belichick. What's going on in New England? How nervous should they be? A Patriots fans should be nervous provided they don't take care of the Dolphins on Sunday. New England right now has three straight home games coming up. They got Miami on Sunday, then a quick turnaround, Indianapolis coming to town, and they have been poisoned for Andrew Luck through the years. Yes, I know there's a new offensive coordinator in Frank Reich, the same guy who helped coordinate that Super Bowl victory for the Philadelphia Eagles, but Andrew Luck has not traditionally played well against Indianapolis, and then they host the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday night football. So this is a, a place where the, the Patriots have to make some hay because after that, four of the next five are coming up on the road. So it's not an easy schedule. And you're right about this Dolphins game. And, you know, People are wondering, is Miami for real? You know, I mean, what they have this year are explosive playmakers. They have the type of speed in their wide receiving core that they didn't have with Jarvis Landry. They used the money that they were going to spend on Jarvis Landry. They signed Albert Wilson, who becomes the first player, I think, in, in a zillion years, since 1980 or something, who actually ended up 
throwing a 50-yard touchdown pass and catching a 50-yard touchdown pass in the same game. They figured out that Jakeem Grant is more than just a returner, all five foot seven, 169 pounds of him soaking wet. They found a way to incorporate him into this offense. Amendola is a guy who's a precise route runner. He's going to get his. I mean, look, they're, they're doing, and without Devontae Parker, who's been a waste as a first-round pick, Kenny Stills is, is their number one guy, too, but it's these other guys who stepped up and played well for them. And I think the defense is just good enough. I don't think it's great. The problem the Patriots have is this and I can't believe I'm saying this, but Julian Edelman means just that much to the Patriots offense. He really does. Last year, they were able to compensate when it came to Brandon Cooks, and you know, you know, he was able to step up and help fill that void. And then by having Brandon, other guys were able to feed. Well, right now, there's no wide receiver in the absence of Julian Edelman for which the Patriots have a second option beside Gronkowski, and Gronkowski is getting double covered because nobody respects anyone in the Patriots' wide receiving court. What makes this even stranger is that I believe New England has brought in between 25 and 28 different wide receivers since March that they've shuffled in and out of their roster. You know, guys come in, the Jordan Matthews of the world, Malcolm Mitchell was there, their fourth-round pick out of Georgia, that Kenny Britt, I mean, you know, uh, Corey Coleman. I mean, all these guys have come in, and no one has stuck. And now they're going with the Josh Gordon experiment, and that's a toughie. I mean, you're expecting Josh to learn option routes with Brady, and that's not easy. When I say an option route, the wide receiver has to figure out where is the corner, how do I run my route, and what is Tom Brady seeing? You know, I may think that I have to go inside at this spot or I have to stop and turn around on a little curl route, but is Brady seeing the same thing as me? For you to try to do that on the fly with Josh Gordon, good luck with all that. I mean, and I get it. He'll help them in some ways trying to stretch a a defense, but man, oh man, Clay, you're right. And here's the thing, too, about the, the Patriots. The talent level on this team is down. It is down. And if teams like Detroit and if teams like Jacksonville play against them and play relatively mistake free football, I think New England's in some big time trouble. I'm not an X's and O's guy, but it seemed like Matt Patricia, who obviously knows that defensive team and and the overall talent of the Patriots better than almost anybody, was exploiting their slowness on the field a couple of different times in both the secondary and in the linebacking core. Carryon Johnson got to the corner on those linebackers a bunch of times, first 100-yard rusher in however many forever days it has been for the Detroit Lions. And also some of those routes, uh, you know, the the last touchdown pass that Matthew Stafford had, it was just basically a straight route across the field, right, where they just ran away from Stephon Gilmore, uh, got him in man-to-man coverage, and he couldn't keep up. Um, I, I just looked at the Patriots and I thought, man, the the Lions when they put this stuff on tape. It looked like they exploited their speed uh, and that there was a mismatch a lot when it came to how fast the uh, the Patriots' defense was. Agreed. The linebacking core is among the slowest in the NFL, and the return of Dante Hightower was supposed to help things. Landon Roberts supposed to be a good second-year player. I mean, you have Kyle Van Noy, but he's always been slow. You know, the thing with the Gilmore play that you mentioned, that he was looking for safety help. So yeah. he's following this guy across the field, Deron Harmon. Hello, Deron Harmon, where are you? Oops, not there. And they were able to take advantage of that. And by the way, 70 games had gone by. 70 games for the Detroit Lions until they finally got that 100-yard rusher in on Johnson. See, and it wasn't just the linebackers in secondary. The defensive line got their tails kicked too, right? I mean, Frank Ragnow, a guy who really struggled his first two games, the rookie suddenly looks like an all-pro playing at left guard. I mean, there were holes to run. It, it's, such a, it's so dramatically different than that first game against the Jets, right, where the Lions were like looking like the worst team in football. Last night they looked like one of the best. It was really strange. Not even 
Matthew Stafford could throw interceptions to cause them to lose this game. You know, so I, I do think there's a, you know, look, and we have to remember, though, the Patriots approach things differently. I get it. The first four games of the regular season are almost like their preseason. And then all of a sudden, week five, the true identity of the Patriots show up. Belichick and company figure out what their team does well. They maximize those strengths. They minimize the weaknesses on this team as best they can. They just try to play precise football and hope that a team makes enough mistakes to beat itself. Past two weeks hasn't happened, and I don't know if it's going to happen. But I will tell you this: you're, I think you're going to see a motivated effort by the Patriots. I think they beat the Dolphins next week. We'll talk about it next Monday. But I think that they understand when their backs against the wall. This Patriots team has always responded, and I don't think it's going to be any different this coming week. Who's in worse shape, the Cowboys or the Texans? Cowboys are in worse shape, and I think there is going to ultimately be change on this team. And you know, it was the most fitting aspect of Sunday's game when Earl Thomas took a bow in front of the Dallas Cowboys sideline and just stuck it in their face saying, you could have traded for me and I could have been making these types of plays for you. A monster day for Earl Thomas with two interceptions. Now, the chaos he's causing in the Seattle locker room, that's a different story altogether here. But it's a Cowboys team that grossly miscalculated on several fronts. They grossly miscalculated on Connor Williams, their left guard, who was a liability, especially without Travis Frederick there to help him out. Joe Looney's an okay center, but he's not Travis Frederick. They, they grossly underestimated the inability to have a number one wide receiver and they're feeling that they could contribute by committee. The tight end position is still a train wreck. There's nothing to fear. If you, when you look at this Cowboys offense at the skill position players, you got Dak Prescott, you got Zeke Elliott, and that's all you got. That is that entire Cowboys offense. And, it, and listen, the defense will keep them around. This is a very good defense, despite what, you know, Seattle being able to put up some points yesterday, but that was really more to the ineptitude of the Cowboys offense than anything else. As for the Texans, you know, just something is not right there. And I don't know if, again, maybe it's a, a deal where Romeo Cornell's defense now has been figured out, the 3 4 types to run, but they're not getting the type of pressure that they once did. I mean, especially, too, with the Giants starting two new offensive linemen and Freeline Manning to have the, the day that he did. I mean, doesn't reflect well upon this Texans team. And I'm waiting, you know, Bill O'Brien, everyone talks about what a genius he is. Clay, have, have you seen it? Because no. I'm sort of missing all this when it comes to Bill O'Brien, just because he coach for Bill Belichick doesn't mean that that osmosis happened and all of a sudden it's rubbing off on him because they're 0-3 and I, I don't think they're a very good team. Which 0-3? I asked this question on my poll question uh, that's up right now uh, at Clay Travis. I said, which 0-3 NFL team's fan base should be most panicked? The Texans, the Raiders, or the Cardinals? Let's take the Cardinals out. Texans or Raiders, who should be the most panicked? <laughs> I was all ready to say Cardinals. You know why? Listen to this. 6.7 points a game, 190.3 yards per game, 132 passing yards a game, 58.3 rushing yards a game. You know where that ranks in the NFL? Last, 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 last. And already the Josh Rosen era is beginning because, listen, their head coach Steve Wilkes knows we're going nowhere fast with Sam Bradford under center. Let this young man run for his life, get experience, we'll regroup, come back in 2019. Might be a new general manager there as well. A lot of whispers behind the scenes about Steve Kime, the GM, he of the DUI back in July, being in a lot of trouble as far as the future of this team and a potential new general manager coming in for them. I, I, don't, I think Oakland will be fine by the end of the season. The, the whole thing is this, though, it's a rebuild there. The drafts have been so bad through the years, Clay, and that's, look, put it on Reggie McKenzie. I put it on Jack Del Rio as well, previous regime. It's going to take John Gruden to make this team a little bit of time to make it what he wants. But they're putting up some points on offense. Derek Carr is looking better. I just think defensively, because of their inability to rush the passer, and it makes you wish they had Khalil Mack. Oh, wait, they yeah. did have Khalil Mack. But you get where I'm going with this. I think that ultimately they're going to be okay. You remember, two two straight road games, and they played tough in both of them against Miami and Denver. I think Oakland will be okay. I think Houston's a team that's in bigger trouble. 
All right, last question for you. What are you hearing on Jimmy Garoppolo? Uh, do you expect him to be out for the season? I expect him to be out, and the trainers know. You know, you know by the way, uh, only one NFL stadium has an MRI machine on site. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's crazy. It's in Cincinnati, it's in Cincinnati yeah. which is which incidentally, but that's it. So they, they actually have to fly back and, and just for sure make sure it's his ACL. But, yeah, the way the knee moved and, and the way the trainers are saying it, he's done. By the way, I was talking to an NFL exec, and he said, you know what, I had a little bit of concern about this because the guy's a linebacker in, in high school, right, who converted to quarterback, and yep. he, linebacker mentality, Clay, not good. 49ers in a heck of a lot of trouble now the rest of the season. I know I said last question, but quickly – the quarterbacks are all going to start rookies. Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen. Josh Josh Allen gets a huge win. Uh, Josh Rosen looks like he's likely to start. Obviously, Sam Darnold is already starting. How crazy are you or how surprised are you? All four rookie quarterbacks officially looks like going to be starting uh, by week four. I'm not just because look at the direct that was in front of him. <laughs> you know, who, was, yeah. who was keeping Josh Allen from starting? Who was keeping Baker Mayfield from starting? You know what I'm saying? Who's keeping Sam Darnold from starting? I mean, these are bad teams that had opportunities. A quarterback, they brought in insurance policies just in case these rookies needed a little bit more time. They're, no, they're ready right now. Play them. Build teams around them. Go from there. Take your lumps this season. Be ready to compete in 2019. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 